Camilla's going to come and read for us again. Uh, New Testament this time, page 847, Hebrews chapter 3. So we'll be starting at verse 7 and going through to chapter 4, verse 13. So, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the desert, where your fathers tested and tried me and for 40 years saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation and I said... Their hearts are always going astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared an oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly to the end the confidence we had at first. As has just been said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the desert? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the gospel preached to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them because those who heard it did not combine it with their faith. Now we who have believed enter that rest, just as God has said. So I declared an oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his work has been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. And on the seventh day God rested from all his work. And again in the passage above he says, they shall never enter my rest. It still remains that some will enter that rest And those who formerly had the gospel preached to them did not go in because of their disobedience. Therefore, God again set a certain day, calling it today, when a long time later he spoke through David, as was said before, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God, For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. For the word of the Lord, word of God, is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him for whom we must give account. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
Uh, let me welcome you, especially if uh, you're new or passing through. It's great to have you amongst us today. Uh, it's, I do hope uh, that you enjoy your time and are able to stay around for morning tea with us a little later on in the courtyard. If you um, accidentally closed your uh, Hebrews, your Bible uh, from our reading in Hebrews, reopen it. Uh, it's where we're going to be looking at a little more closely. I'm not sure what you're expecting uh, to have happen now. What I'm anticipating is uh, that God is going to address us. I'm also expecting uh, it's going to be hard for us to listen because, well, we're weak and frail and it's, you know, it's a beautiful day after yesterday being wet and our minds are distracted and the heating, well, for some it's not quite right. All sorts of reasons are going to keep us distracted, so we need to pray uh, that God might speak clearly to us. Let's pray. Lord and Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's living and active and we ask that we might experience its power today. Uh, Father, speak to us, speak to our hearts and our souls and our minds. Help us to know you better, uh, that we might delight in you and love you and love your ways and live differently this day and this week and all our lives because of our knowledge of you. Speak to us by your spirit, we pray. Amen. Uh, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. For since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. Have you ever worried that you might not make it to heaven? For many, that that thought's never crossed our minds. Uh, For some of it's because we're, we're so sure of the good work that Jesus has done that we've never had a moment of doubt. And I'm, I'm certainly not here to cast doubt on the work of Jesus. It's perfect. Uh, but is it applied to you? Yeah, all, all of Christ's people will be in heaven, but, but have you ever wondered that perhaps you're not one of them? Some of us, though, have never considered it just because we don't understand the system. Yeah, we've blithely just assumed, oh yeah, we're, we're pretty good and so of course we've got a place in heaven. Never considered the possibility that maybe we didn't. We, we haven't accounted for the perfection of a holy God and the deep darkness of our sin in our souls. Or for some of us, we just don't think much about heaven. You know, one way or the other because we're kind of busy and fairly consumed with this world. Uh, and so in some ways we're no different to the average Australian. Um, whose kind of whole picture of the end times is the retirement plan of trekking around Australia in a camper van, you know, blowing the kids' inheritance. You know, now that I've raised in your minds at least, uh, are you worried that you may not make it to heaven? You know, I walked uh, down past Westpac the other day, just the, the one on the block along, had a sign out the front that uh, asked me what I had done to secure my and my children's and my family's future. And it was an invitation that I can come in and talk to them. didn't feel particularly personal. It was just on a general sign. I suspect they were going to talk to me about finances and loans. Uh, I didn't go in. Um, Hebrews 3 and 4 asks in some ways the same kind of question, but your eternity is at stake. Now, three things I want us to hang on to today is that one is that better rest is on offer. Uh, secondly, that the risk of missing it is real. And thirdly, we're going to talk a bit about how we're going to strive for eternal rest. First up, better rest is on offer. So the book of Hebrews is an encouragement to to hang on to the better life that we can have in Jesus, to enjoy his benefits. Uh, So in 3.6, just before the bit Camilla read for us, it said, But Christ is is faithful as a son over God's house, and we are his house if we hold on to our courage and the hope which we boast. 
You know, the hope, he goes on to explain, is about a, a better heavenly rest. It's about true rest. Rest that actually is enjoyable. Rest that is satisfying. Because the better rest that God offers is actually, you can rest like me, he says. To rest like God himself. So 4 verse 9. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters that God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. See, God offers to people the chance to, to rest like he does. Now, this doesn't mean an extended snooze. Okay? Rest in biblical terms, in Hebrews here, is not about passive nothingness. It's not kind of just the absence of bad things like the nirvana of Buddhism. It is so much better. Rest is about the maximum enjoyment of blessings, the blessings of creation, the blessings of salvation. Rest is about active delight in what is the best that God's mind can conceive. Biblical rest is a pleasurable experience, the ultimate of them. It's when you stop striving and enjoy the fruit of your labour. It's what God does in, in both creation and salvation. So the climax of creation, the peak, the best it gets is rest. So there you might have noticed in verse 3 and 4 uh, of chapter 4, um, he starts alluding back to somewhere in the Bible uh, where it talked a bit about God resting. Um, if you put in the effort, you can track it down. It's in Genesis 2. Uh, there God finished his work of creation on the seventh day and he rested. And Genesis 2 says he blessed that day. That is, jargon word, he gave his very best to that day, the seventh day, because he stopped so that he could delight in the good world that he created. And he delighted in the good relationships that he had with the people he made. And there is no eighth day. So the opportunity to share in God's rest remains, as long as it's called today. By nature, humanity... They despise that opportunity. And so what does God do? God keeps redeeming people again and again that they might come in and share that rest. Uh, so Hebrews speaks of a few different salvation moments where God reinvites people to come and share that experience of rest. Uh, you know, he wants them to, I suppose the climax of those salvation moments is, is a magnified view of the climax of creation. It's rest, but, but better. He's inviting people to come back in and share eternally in that that day of rest, the seventh day, where God stopped and delighted in what he'd made. But it's in a way that's actually better than it was in Eden. So in Eden, um, humanity enjoyed the pleasures of creation, but with the possibility that it was going to be ruined. The heavenly rest of salvation takes that possibility away. Uh, In Eden, um, humanity enjoyed the pleasure of relating to their creator properly. But in the heavenly rest of salvation, we actually relate to God, not just as creatures, but as his children, as co-rulers with Christ, because we're so intimately united with him. Rest at that point, the heavenly rest is about the ultimate in pleasurable experiences. It's a break from the kind of frustration and the sadness and the grief and pain of this world. It is maximum pleasure. And yeah, we, we can sample that in small doses in this world. Human experience does that, doesn't it? So he, the writer of Hebrews, looks to to how it happened in the past. So um, in Psalm 95, he quotes that at length and repeats little bits of it another four times in it. He speaks of, the Psalm speaks of Moses' generation. People who had experienced under Moses and Joshua escaped from slavery to go and enjoy rest, but didn't enjoy it fully. 
Yeah, they had a little sample of it, but not completely. In the same way, David, when he was writing this psalm, we're told in 4 verse 8, he was writing this psalm from being in the land of rest. But he knew there was a rest to come. He'd sampled small bits. Our experience can grasp little bits of how good rest will be, but not the full experience. Even now, we keep doing it, don't we? We work six days. Uh, We take one off to enjoy loving relationships, to enjoy relating to God, to enjoy the goodness of creation. You know, that that summer's day on the harbour, in the boat, with friends and family and good food and frolicking about and doing it in thankfulness of God, you know, that's great. And it's just a little sample of true rest. It's right, it's good, it's godly to holiday, to enjoy the fruits of work and, and plan for retirement, but, but do it remembering that it's just a sample. You know, don't be satisfied with the kind of rest that you're going to get here. We need to be people who, who strive for something greater and perhaps that's one of the hardest things for us because we just enjoy ridiculous levels of comfort and wealth in this country compared to the majority of the world, the majority of history. The, the risk we run is, is spending more time planning a great day off or planning our holidays or planning our retirement than we do considering the wonder of heaven, planning our eternity. I found a great quote from a, a guy called Richard Baxter a, a little while ago. He lived through the pain of civil war, uh, so I suppose he didn't want to cling on to this world as much as perhaps we do. Uh, and he wrote this in his book, The Saints Everlasting Rest. I urge you, reader to bend your soul to study eternity. Busy it about the life to come. Make, make such meditation your habit. Bathe your soul in heaven's delights. And if your backward soul begins to drag its feet and your thoughts wander, call them back. Hold them to their work. Don't put up with their laziness. And when you have, in obedience to God, tried this work and you've kept a guard on your thoughts until they're accustomed to obey, you will find yourself in the suburbs of heaven and then the life of Christianity will be a life of joy. God is offering a great rest beyond our minds to conceive, to rest like he rests, to maximise that that kind of pleasure of right relationships with him and others and and to, to enjoy the goodness of creation and that's what we're to strive for. Because the scary part of the word from Hebrews 3 and 4 today is that there are people here today who won't be there in the eternal rest. People sitting amongst us. The risk of missing that better rest is real. And 3 verse 7, so as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. During the time of testing in the desert where your fathers tested me, tried me for 40 years, saw what I did. That's why I was angry with that generation. And I said, their hearts are always going astray. And they've not known my ways. And so I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. So the writer there is citing... Um, another part of God's word written a thousand years before him and he sees it actually applies right then and there to his readers just like the offer of rest still 
stands as long as it's called today. You know, in the same way as it still stands, the prospect of missing out still stands. Yeah, so surrounding this kind of passage that I've kind of broken off, uh, bookending it, is, is this talk about the comfort of Jesus as our high priest. So in 2.17, he's this merciful high priest who deals with our sin and makes it possible for us to enter heaven. And in 4.15, he's able to sympathise with our weakness because he knows what our temptation is like. But within that kind of framework of knowing him is a very serious warning of how his good work can be squandered. So 3, 11 and 12, I declared in my oath in anger they shall never enter my rest. Uh, 4, 1, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful, none of you be found to fall short. 4, 3, I declared on oath in my anger they'll never enter my rest. Again in verse 4, verse 5, uh, and he goes on, it remains some will enter that rest and those who formerly had the gospel preached to them didn't go in because of their disobedience. 4.11, let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. See, what's the issue at stake this morning? It's not the quality of heaven. Um, be assured, heaven is going to be fantastic. God wouldn't make a great world like this and then dud us in eternity. Um, it's going to be quality. The, the issue at stake is whether we'll be a part of it. Because some are going to fall under God's wrath. And not, not a sparked up anger in a moment, but, but a righteous response to persistent disobedience. And it's not a word written here to us today. It's not for the people in the cafes out there at the moment. It's not for the people who are wandering past in the street. It's actually for us sitting here. It's for people who, who've had the experience of the gospel preached to them in, in 4 verse 5, but didn't combine it with faithful obedience. There are people who sit here today who will not be with us in eternal rest is the scary thought that Hebrews puts in our mind. I remember once as a teenager a youth group talk where uh, we're told by the time we made it to the workforce that the majority of us would no longer claim to follow Jesus. And at the time it, it didn't seem particularly believable. We were all keen and enthusiastic. And yet it happened. And it's happened in our church, this congregation, other congregations. Uh, there are people who are sitting where you're sitting now who no longer live for eternal rest. There are people probably sitting here today who won't be there. And as I say it, I hope you're not just sitting there thinking, looking around the room, I wonder if it's him, maybe it's her. The challenge of Hebrews is to consider yourself. David Brannard was a, a missionary to some uh, Native American tribes a few centuries ago. He wrote about his experience of growing up in churches, um, let's say a nominal, uh, who never really experienced Christ. So he described how he was at ease in Zion without God in the world. That is... He liked Christians and, and he felt comfortable, you know, over morning tea with them and he could sing along with the songs and he understood all their jargon words but he didn't live with God as reality in his life. And that kind of nominalism is, is easy to slip into. Um, 3.13 points out to us, it warns us, uh, sin is really tricky. It deceives you and sin makes you think that your little sin just doesn't matter. It's, it's okay, isn't it? And the danger we face is that we're slowly hardened to God's ways bit by bit, you know, like, like arteries clogging. And so our hearts no longer respond to him. 
until bit by bit we come like those people of Israel who, who grumble about God's leadership and are unhappy to follow him in that kind of area and gradually we just kind of distance ourselves from him and his people. As C.S. Lewis wrote, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. Hebrews 4 is a signpost that we would ignore to our eternal peril. God is offering eternal rest. It will be fantastic, but the risk of missing it is genuine. And so the call in the words of 4.11, make every effort to enter that rest. Strive for that rest. Four suggestions, four aids, four features of what it looks like to strive for that rest. One, um, learn from the sinners of old. You know, the logic of this passage is that we're not particularly different from people of Israel, uh, the sinners of old. You know, they lived in this period um, between promise and fulfilment, just like us. You know, they knew God's salvation, but they hadn't quite reached complete redemption. You know, I read Jeremiah, a little bit of Jeremiah um, earlier this week with with someone, uh, and I was just struck as to I suppose how similar the people of Jeremiah's generation were to us. You know, they were quick to leave God and chase after false gods, which actually proved really worthless and unsatisfying. And I kind of thought, yeah, that's pretty modern, isn't it? The writer doesn't want us to to read through this and sit smugly in judgment over those sinners of old and go, oh, those foolish people back then. Um, No, no, no. But as we read it, to go there but the grace of God go I. Yeah, it's so easy, isn't it, to delight in others' weaknesses uh, as though somehow it elevates us. You know, whatever we want to say about the Matthew Johns affair and what's been going on in NRL scandals recently, um, one thing I think it showed really clearly is how self-righteous and morally superior the majority of our society is. You know, oh, we wouldn't do that, aren't they terrible people? You know, we looked over the morality of these incidents, and I'm not in any way defending them, they're wrong, um, as though, you know, we wouldn't do that. Yeah, and it is just such a dangerous position to fall from. It was great chatting to um, Scott just a moment ago. He was saying he caught up with a friend who he's going through a, a divorce and, yeah, Scott shared learning from that uh, treasure-your-own-marriage. You know, learn from the failings of others. Now, when you read through the Old Testament, uh, read it sympathetically so you can learn from the errors, not join them. Second thing is take your sin seriously. You know, it flows logically, doesn't it? Faithful obedience matters to God. It's the entry condition. Uh, The final verses of Hebrews 3 show just kind of how cleverly belief and obedience are actually two sides of the one coin. Uh, I'm going to read a little from 3.17. Just close your eyes for a moment. Follow along with me. Fill in the word when I leave a blank. Uh, and uh, And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Wasn't those, was it not with those who sinned whose bodies fell in the desert? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest if not to those who disobeyed? See to it then, see that, uh, so we see that they were not able to enter because of their... That was the pause I really wanted. I wonder what word you'd put in there. Have a look down. Uh, I'm expecting disobedience. He puts in unbelief. Two sides of the one coin, disobedience, unbelief. 
It's the logic of James, that you show your faith by your actions. So, uh, you know, you believe Jesus is the Lord and Saviour? That's fantastic. Why don't you show me your obedience so I can believe it? Because that's the one piece of evidence that shows it. You know, don't, don't presume you can do anything you want and still have a place in God's rest. Don't be content to just trim at the edges of your treasured sins, but, but go in and rip them out at the roots. I was really encouraged reading, meeting with some guys recently uh, who wanted to act on this. They, uh, we talked about wanting to get rid of lying, uh, about speaking the truth in love, and so we struck a deal that um, when someone told a lie, we had to text the others as a form of accountability. Uh, it's just a little thing, but it's, it's trying to take sin seriously. Third thing, um, help the saints who are sitting beside you. Now, I said before that there, are, that there are people here who won't be there in the heavenly rest. Uh, In part, that's their responsibility. But if you take 3 verse 13 seriously, it's your responsibility as well. Um, But encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. The sense of the word there used for one another is about mutual responsibility. It's true, there are people who've stopped coming to church in recent months here. Have you caught up with them? And even before that, when it kind of comes a little late, are you having those encouraging conversations to prevent each other being hardened by sin? A minister I know was giving a a talk to a men's group on anger. Uh, Some women, he he told he was doing this uh, and he knew, they said to him, oh, that's good, you men don't talk about anger, do you? And he was struck, they're actually right. Right. you know, he's a really big area of godliness and it just goes under the radar. You know, each one of us has a responsibility to encourage other people in godliness. Um, there are structures like Connect Group that makes it really easy. Um, and if you aren't one, aren't in one of those, you're going to have to work extra hard because uh, you're no less responsible to encourage other people. Uh, but be encouraged in doing it. Uh, I, I suspect just anecdotally that your words to each other are going to be infinitely more powerful than my words from you know, me, an ordained minister. Uh, there is just something about it. I've known you know, emails sent from people to others in the congregation producing more than many words from me. Fourth and finally, I, I want you to get cut by the word. So when you open up the Bible, what are you expecting? You know, when, you, when you come here and have the Bible open... What do you think is going to happen? Is it anything at all like this? Is this what you're expecting? Got to love a prop, don't you? It's a little, little sharper than yours, Reese. May not be as big, but it'll do the job a little more efficiently. You know, th- this is the biggest weapon I could find to kind of capture what's going on in 4 verse 12 and 13. Yeah, the Word of God is living and active, it is sharper than a double-edged sword, and it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitude of the heart and nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So when the, when the writer speaks of the word of God as a sword, he's not saying it is a kind of soft rubber kid's toy. Um, he's saying it is a weapon that is designed to cut right into you and rip you apart. A weapon you can't escape from. Judges even those thoughts that you think no one else can see, God sees. And as you read the word, it shows you up, it exposes you. 
I'm not sure what you expect when you read the Word of God. I think I've been struck this week about the attitude I go often to reading the Word. You know, I think I go there and I'm expecting to be confirmed in what I already thought I knew, rather than going and expecting to be exposed as being kind of feeble in my attitudes and ungodly or myopic. But isn't it so much better to go and and get cut by the word now that we might be better prepared when we finally have to give an account? Go, Go do that. Expose yourself to it over and over again. That's how you're going to strive for heaven. Ask God to actually speak to you and address the sin that is deep within and change you. Have you ever worried you'll miss heaven? I don't want you leaving this morning anxious over it, but I do want you to listen to the word of God. I want us to be people who strive to enter that better rest. Let's pray. Lord and Father, we thank you for the promise of rest. We thank you for the pleasure it holds out to us. We, we thank you for the offer that we can rest like you. to delight in your great creation and the creation to come. Father, we ask that you would work in each and every one of us and keep us to the very end. May we not be hardened by sin's deceitfulness, but may we encourage one another. May we keep putting ourselves underneath uh, the sharp sword of your word that we might be exposed and so better live for you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.